the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. God has loved all people. He sent his son to die. Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens are proclaiming the glory of God day to day pours forth speech. There's no place where their voice isn't heard. He has revealed himself to us through nature so that every human being, as it talks about in Romans 1, 18 to 21, knows there is a God and is without excuse because he has made himself apparent to us through the handiworks of his creation. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. Today we'll be taking a slight detour from our typical verse-by-verse study of the Bible to hear a live question-and-answer service that took place recently at Hillside Church where Pastor Keith fielded questions from the congregation and the community live during the worship service. Now here's Pastor Keith to begin this live Q&A broadcast. Question number one is, is homosexuality always a sin? What about loving long-term monogamous gay and lesbian relationships based on true love and affection? So according to the Bible, according to God, according to His Word, Homosexuality and homosexual relationships are always, always sinful. That is, they are prohibited by the Word of God. Uh, what do we call it when you do when you disobey God? We call that sin. And today, you know, we're living in a culture that redefines terms. Uh, you know, um, and uh, we try to create distinctions that do not exist. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, from Leviticus to Deuteronomy, for example. Into the New Testament, 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, Romans, homosexuality is shown to be outside of and in contradiction to the Word of God. There have been attempts to try to say, well, you know, uh, in, in the uh, Sodom and Gomorrah story, that was oppressive uh, gang rape type things, but that's not what homosexuality is all about. But that's just not the case. It ignores the wider context of Scripture. There's a move afoot uh, about 10 or 15 years ago to say that there's a word, pornonea, that refers to uh, 
insincere homosexuality that, um, you know, like temple prostitutes or people just engaging in in sex willy-nilly. But what really blows up that fallacious argument is Romans 1, 18 to 32. And there, there's no term, pornonei, it describes behavior that men and women abandoning the natural affections engaged in unnatural acts, which God prohibits, that Romans 1, 18 to 32 talks about the nature of fallen humanity who ignores that God is, who ignores the will of God, who suppresses the truth and unrighteousness, who creates all kinds of stories, vain imaginations, and that the things that they do are punishable in God's sight by death. The wages of sin is death. And among them is men and women having same-sex relationships. There's the idea of true love. True love is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength so that you can rightly love your neighbor as yourself. And so the question here, and I'm sure it's a sincere one, has some kind of red herrings already peppered through it. And, uh, you know, whether it's a long-term monogamous relationship, if it's outside the will of God, it's sin. There's just no way around that. It's wrong. It's immoral. It's unnatural. And uh, whether it's a series of relationships or one relationship, it's still wrong. And there's just no way around that. And so that's the short answer. Next question. My unbelieving spouse is mistreating me because I am a Christian. I do not want to divorce them because I want to live out a good testimony before them. They will not go to counseling. What can I do? Boy, that 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 is tough. That is really, really tough. This is not an uncommon occurrence. Uh, Sometimes two people who don't know Christ will get married, and then one will come to Christ, and then there is tension because of, you know, the gospel is a sword that divides father and mother, mother and father, children, parents, this, that, and the other, and sometimes creates tension between a married couple. Uh, And so that's a tough one. Uh, Other times people unwisely and... and, uh, rejecting the will of God, date unbelievers and wind up married to them. That's tough because you usually end up in the same situation. And, uh, you know, my heart goes out to you, whatever your situation is. The best thing that you can do is try to live out your faith before them. You know, in this world, you will have persecution. Jesus said, we're going to have persecution, tribulation in this world. And, you know, I would say this, you know, Pastor Paul Brown is our family and counseling pastor. And your, your spouse may not come to counseling, but we would sure like to help you and to comfort you and to encourage you as you experience these tensions and maybe equip you and support you in coping with this. Now, having said all that, there are two explicit grounds for divorce in the scriptures, and one is implicit. Uh, the explicit ones are adultery, right? You know, Jesus talked about that uh, Matthew uh, 19, verses 1 through 10, I think. Um, There is also uh, abandonment by an unbeliever, where an unbeliever walks away from the marital relationship and the marital responsibilities and the duties that God has raised them up for. And the the one abandoned is free to to divorce and remarry if they're abandoned by the unbeliever. And implicit in those also, in the abandonment, and also in the Romans... uh, chapter uh, uh, 13 about the government is physical abuse, 
Somebody breaks the law, you call the police. Somebody physically abuses you, you call the police, or we call the police for you. And what often happens is the, the abusing per individual, the, the, the perpetrator, shows himself or herself to be an unbeliever. I've had both kinds of situations in my ministerial career where a wife was physically abusing a husband. And, what a, and to me, I mean, I'm a, I'm a required reporter, I think they call that, or whatever. Um, I'm going to call the police, and what's going to happen is the government is going to separate, or you're going to call the police. And, uh, and they're usually, the unbelieving spouse usually ab- abandons ship at that point. Or sometimes, sometimes they come to Christ through it. But I, I don't know what the situation is exactly here, but we want to help you. We want to love you. I don't know what the nature of the mistreatment is, but if it is physical or endangering you, you know, there's no call to stay and receive that kind of abuse. Uh, and so you, you can contact us, contact me or Pastor Paul, and we, will, we want to help you. We want to counsel, encourage you. We want to shepherd you. Next question. Does man have free will? Well, there is. So that's like saying, answering the question, why? Okay. Does man have free will? No. Uh, Generally speaking, uh, all of you were prevented from exercising free will on the way to church today. You drove the speed limit. You drove in a particular lane. Your free will was restricted by government, circumstance, situation, and providence. Uh, At the same time, you have room to maneuver within the providence and sovereignty of God. You can choose to obey him, which is worship, or you can choose to sin against him, which is sin. But do you have free will? Well, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to God. When it comes to salvation, we know that salvation is a God thing. Jesus said in in John chapter 6, you can only come to me unless the Father draws you. You can only come to me unless it's been granted by the Father. And then in Acts 13, 48, it says, When the Gentiles heard these things, uh, as many as were appointed to salvation believed. So God is, is sovereign over everything. He causes all things to work together for our good, for those of us who are called according to his purposes. Even what men intend is evil against you, Genesis 50, 20, God intends for good. And so free will, as the world defines it, total autonomy, no. Nobody has ever had total autonomy. We're all dressed today. You know, it would be outside of societal convictions not to be dressed. And so that's a loaded question, and I've just basically skipped a stone over the surface. But take a look at the first Ephesians chapter 1 or Romans 9 through 11 and places like that. And, uh, you know, uh, you know Proverbs where the, God turns the king's heart whichever way he wants to. And so... Cyrus could set the Jews free to go back to Jerusalem. That was God working on his heart. Uh, that's kind of a short answer. So that's a, that could be a sermon series and still may be. But if you, if you were here for Romans, you probably got a good taste for that. Next question. Does God love everyone? If he does, can you explain Jacob I have loved, Esau have I hated, or the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? This is a good one. I'm, that's a good question. So does God love everyone? Yes and no. God has loved everyone. How do we know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, uh, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, John three sixteen. God sent his son to die for our sin. He paid the sin debt, and that is the ultimate act of love. Uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, is uh, God speaking to us uh, in human terms. In the Bible, you have uh, literary and rhetorical devices like... Uh, 
hyperbole or comparison. And just like when Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and father and father and mother, unless you hate your children, you cannot serve me. Now, do you think he's commanding you to hate your parents? No, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. You see that in Exodus uh, 20. You see that in uh, uh, Ephesians 6. What's going on here is relative to Jacob and Esau. I mean, Jacob was the first, uh, Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob got the birthright. Does that mean he, God woke up that morning and God you know, doesn't sleep or slumber and decided just to mistreat Jacob or Esau? No. So God has loved all people. He sent his son to die. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, the heavens are proclaiming the glory of God day to day pours forth speech. There's no place where their voice isn't heard. He has revealed himself to us through nature so that every human being, as it talks about in Romans 1, 18 to 21, knows there is a God and is without excuse because he has made himself apparent to us through the handiworks of his creation. So God has loved everybody, but God hates sin. And when you choose sin over salvation, you suffer the consequences. And, uh, and so, but there are the comparisons and the hyperbole and the word pictures that he gives us because he condescends to speak to us as we do to toddlers in terms and ways that we can understand. Word pictures, like when Jesus says, I am the door, we understand that we, he's not saying that he literally has hinges or a knob, but he is the way to heaven. He is the way into the sheepfold. And when Jesus says to Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, how long I've desired to gather you under my wings like a mother gathers her chicks. We understand he's speaking figuratively. Now, Pharaoh is kind of an interesting character, essentially a genocidal maniac, right? People always say, well, he was so mean to Pharaoh. Really? Pharaoh had, like people do today in our culture, forced or tried to force the post-birth execution of Hebrew boys. They were to be abandoned by the Nile River, which basically is expo- uh, subjecting them to exposure and to crocodiles, right? He told the, the Hebrew uh, midwives to kill the boys when they were born. And so the hardening basically is like this. God backed Pharaoh into a corner and, and made him show what was already inside him. Pharaoh was, a, was an arrogant, murderous man. And just like when you put pressure on a tube of toothpaste, what's inside comes out, toothpaste, or you take a bag of tea and put it in boiling water and you get tea, right? Now the water doesn't make the tea, it releases the tea. And God, to demonstrate his glory and superiority over the gods of Egypt, these demonic, satanic, pantheistic, idolatrous idols, uh, he, he displayed his glory and he backed Pharaoh into a corner to where Pharaoh could either back down and say, Yahweh is God, but he instead said, who is the Lord? I don't know him that I should obey him. He gave him every opportunity to repent, but he made it so he could not repent on his terms. He only brought out of him what was inside of him. So to some extent, yeah, he backed him into a corner and he forced him to show who he was. And that's the hardening term there. But it wasn't like he made Pharaoh do. Pharaoh was just this nice, innocent guy who God decided to beat up on. And we need to understand that. A lot of times people use this as an excuse to say, well, you know, there's no well to it. God showed Pharaoh mercy and grace upon grace because he gave him every opportunity to repent but not save face. And that wasn't good enough for Pharaoh. Okay, next question. Can you explain Christian unity at what point do we break fellowship with brothers and sisters who are weaker in the faith, 
For example, how do I deal with people who embrace the teachings of Bethel Church in Reading without offending them? What? Okay. Can we get an easy one? No, just kidding. Okay. I'm going to start at the end. Bethel Church, right? Obviously, uh, we've even stopped playing the music here. Uh, that is uh, more of, it's, it's, it's morphed into almost a cult, you know, false prophecies, false teaching, extra biblical revelation. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, we, then you go to Romans 14 that talks about the weaker brother or the weaker sister in the faith. And so what you have to think about is this. Number one, um, it's not our job to fix everybody. We can't. It's a big world and our job isn't to be the religious police. There are people who, who eventually believe another gospel and serve another God. We can't fellowship with them, but we can be kind to them. I would not want to be in a small group at Bethel Church in Reading. I would not want to attend a worship service at Bethel Church in Reading. I would not want to do anything that in any way, shape, or form would affirm Bethel Church in Reading. I think that's pretty easy uh, to see for most discerning Christians. At the same time, we meet people. There are Christians there. There are people who do not know any better. You know, there are people who are growing in their faith or just newly saved, and they don't know what they've gotten themselves into over there. We want to be nice to them. There are people, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are there. But there comes a point in time where you really just can't agree with them. And so I don't know if breaking fellowship is the right idea. You can still be friends. You can invite them to church. You can study the Bible together. You don't want to be part of that movement. You don't want to be associated with that group. But we always want to be very careful about looking down on people and about judging people without taking the log out of our own eye so we can take the speck out of theirs. Now, Bethel Church is one of those rare exceptions, you know. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to break fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ. You might not attend their Bible study. You can, you know, it's like this. You have first and second and third level doctrines like salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. So there are churches that might baptize infants. There are churches that... You know, Presbyterians, conservative Presbyterian churches, they don't see things the way that we see things. They have their commitments. We have our exegetical commitments. They're still brothers and sisters in Christ. I can go visit their church and worship them. I can't join that church probably, you know. So I just, you have to be careful here. And this is where discernment, there's not a one size fits all. When you have a group that is that far off the path, clearly, you know, there's something definitely definitely wrong there and you don't want to subject yourself to that kind of teaching but you can be friends you can talk to them about God maybe even try to steer them breaking fellowship is usually treating somebody as an unbeliever if you follow the Matthew 18 progression of Matthew 18 15 through 17 so I just say you want to be careful you want to be patient because we were all someplace else spiritually five minutes ago five hours ago five months ago five years ago but as far as fraternizing with heretical groups, whether it's the Mormons or Bethel Church or anything like that, that's where, that's, at some point, people move out of the realm of Orthodox Christianity. So that's, that's the best I can do on short notice. Yeah, okay. All right. How should believing family members who clearly know God's truth respond to loved ones who are living an alternative lifestyle? Shunning, love and spite, ignore, confront. Okay, uh, a couple of things, you know, uh, and I'm assuming this comes in, in the context of maybe somebody living out, living together, maybe a heterosexual couple living together outside of marriage. 
Uh, it could be uh, homosexuality or transgender sort of things. It's like this. You don't want to do anything to affirm the sinful behavior. Now, there's no magic formula or easy answer, but uh, if you affirm the, the sinful behavior, you're actually making an unloving, uncaring decision to make them think they're all right. Could you go to their wedding if two guys and two girls were getting married? I don't think so. I can't. Maybe you can. And you know, that's where your conscience, you have to read the Word of God, say, what does it say? What does it mean? What do I do? You know, you have the Second Corinthians uh, 6, uh, 14 about being unequally bound together or unevenly associated with an unbeliever. What fellowship does light have with darkness? You know, what partnership does Christ have with Balal? You know, come out from among them. You have to be really careful. I think you can have over for Thanksgiving your, your, uh, your relative, you know. I think you have to decide whether you want to expose your children or grandchildren to them. Uh, uh, shunning... You know, uh, I don't know about shunning, um, but you definitely don't want to approve of the lifestyle. You don't want to call that which is abnormal normal, that which is sin righteous, or even infer it. Uh, You do want to love them, benefit them through righteous words, uh, actions, and deeds. Uh, If they're a son or a daughter, they're still your son or daughter. If they're a brother or a sister, sibling, whatever, they're still that. You do want to confront them, speak the truth in love, as it talks about in Ephesians. Uh, but, uh, yeah, ignore. Here's the thing. It, you know, sometimes somebody is in your face. Sometimes somebody is doing everything they can to provoke you. Sometimes, this is where discernment and wisdom comes into play. This is why reading Proverbs is a good thing, you know. Uh, you don't want to answer a fool according to their folly because you become like them. So if they're, if they're persnickety, do you want to be persnickety back? Well, you've just lost the high moral ground. But right after that verse, it says, answer a fool according to his folly so that he will not be right in his own, wise in his own sight. And that's the tension. You don't, want to, you don't want to use the tactics that the world uses, but you don't want to just turn a blind eye towards sin. And that's what makes it so hard. I, you know, some of you know my brother who died at 37 of AIDS, was a homosexual, and he lived that lifestyle. And, uh, and there was always, a, and, and my family at that time, in, including me, were, were unsaved, and there was this how to make this work. But there are some things you just can't compromise. And so what you have to do is to figure out the difference between preference and principle and stick to your principles and determine whether if you are too flexible with your preferences that you are, uh, compromise your testimony there's just no easy formula and you know that's why you're in a church that's why you're part of a church family because we need lots of wisdom where two walk along together and one falls into a ditch the other one can pull them out you have people here who may be going through similar things small group people in your small group your abf your sunday school class you may talk to pastors to get wisdom but you have to be really careful what you approve of you know uh, you know, it's really difficult, you know. Uh, somebody wants you to use pronouns that don't really apply to them. You know, if somebody changes their name legally, you can call them anything, almost. But then when you get into the he, she, kind of it, them, they, za, stuff, you're starting to uh, affirm their sin. And so it's hard. It's difficult. And I get that. So, again, you know, I can't give you a... That's a, probably a series, too, but... So, so be faithful to Christ first and foremost. Love the sinner, but do not tolerate the sin. 
you know, and just try to live out your faith in an uncommon, grace-filled, godly, and loving way. Okay? Next question. If men wrote the Bible, how do we know they didn't make mistakes? Great question. Classic. Uh, and, I, and I can say this because I know the person that wrote this one. They wanted me to talk about this. This is your classic red herring that the culture throws at you, that progressive Christianity uses, you know, uh, that these things, you know, these men were lived in a previous time. Da, da, da. The Bible is the word of God, right? Jesus said the scriptures cannot be broken. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening. Amen.